Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Polygon Alpha podcast. This is where the Polygon community gathers insights from today's leaders into centralized finance and crypto. I'm your host, Justin Havens, aka Crypto Texan. Let's get started. On today's episode of Polygon Alpha, we are joined by Dimitri, who is the product manager at Mstable. Dimitri, thanks for being here with us today. How's everything going? Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's going really well. Well, thanks. Yeah, staying busy in the bear market, I'd imagine. Yeah, yeah, we're we're building quite a lot right now. Um, The bear market allows us also to time to focus a little bit more on our core products. Yeah, the weeks are just really busy. A lot of meetings, a lot of discussions, a lot of brainstorming ideas uh, just flying by that need to be discussed, need to be validated. And yeah, it's it's super interesting right now to be actually in crypto despite the price being down. Yeah, it's always interesting to, to stick around during bear markets. I mean, I, I got into the space in 2017 had a bear and I was like kind of paying attention, but, uh, you know, not really, just really just trying to keep up with everything. And then, you know, DeFi summer hit and then I was I was right back into it. And then obviously the the top blew off with Ether going to over four thousand and Bitcoin going to sixty nine, which is a hilarious meme number. Um, and then here we are back again. So, uh, yeah, but like what's your story, Dimitri? Like, how did you get into the crypto space? Yeah, I think my story is actually kind of similar to yours, to be honest. Um, I also got into crypto 2017 when the big uh, bubble was around. And that's the first time I ever bought crypto. Um, But it always was in exchanges or something like that. So I didn't really invest it because I thought it's something cool, to be honest, right? It's just, hey, the price goes up. I want to invest something. And at that time, I did make some money, but I didn't sell anything. So it went down. Um, all the way back and I was left with let's say a couple thousand dollars right so it's like not much not much Um, but I never forgot about crypto and I think the key moment was when I actually joined crypto again in a more broader fashion um, just before DeFi summer so I went to a crypto conference I was like a really small gathering um, like in the city that I, I currently stay in and there was like one dude, he just showed me DAI and I already knew DAI, but it was like, okay, why would I use a stable coin, right? What's the point? It's like, I can mint it, but then it stays in Ethereum and what do I do with it, right? But I didn't know compounders ex- existed. So they gave me $5 uh, worth of Ethereum. I swapped it for, uh, for DAI, deposited it in compound, and I was watching my balance on my phone increasing in real time. And that was the moment I was actually like, wow, you can actually do stuff in crypto on Ethereum. There's so many things that you can do. And that account that I used to swap also got later the Uniswap airdrop, right? So that was like a really good experience. And from then on, I was getting more and more curious about what, is, what else I can do. And that's when also DeFi summer hit with a lot of uh, different tokens, with a lot of different products. And yeah, I was just really exploring at the beginning. And then later, um, I was really wanting to be also involved in some kind of capacity with crypto because the more you do it, the more you feel you want to be part of it. I felt crypto is really a nice community to be actually not just observer, not just user, but actually something to be more involved in. And that's when I got also in touch and into Discord um, with you once. And one was uh, one was Mstable, right? So I got really engaged in Mstable Discord, uh, helped people around, put some governance proposals up, and that pretty much gave me my first uh, two hours per day uh, during the weekday kind of small position, right? So I was helping out with governance. So small thing, right? But that transitioned then to part-time, that transitioned then to full-time. And that full-time role then transitioned to me being um, what I'm doing right now, being a product manager for Mstable. So I never sent any CVs uh, for any job applications in that sense. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, just really just based on merit in the work that you've put in. Um... That's that's really exciting. When did you go full time at Mstable officially? I think it was last year, April. I think it's over a year that I'm actually full time crypto. And what's what's the history of Mstable? Um, when did Mstable uh, get started? Was that in 2017? I think that it was. Yeah, I think Mstable was one of the earlier protocols. Um, definitely something before DeFi summer, before even that whole yield farming thing was a big deal. Um, 
but of course, like in a much different capacity, the, the, the value proposition was a different one than what we are doing right now as well. The team was uh, also slightly different. Um, of course, like in crypto, people get, get to a point where they need to rotate and they need to switch positions or, you know, it's, it's, a, it's difficult to stay in, <laughs> in crypto for a long time um, sometimes, right? So yeah, that AppSleeper is quite old, and AppSleeper launched um, as a a protocol that created meta assets, right? So AppSleeper was just there to abstract away the complexity of having multiple stable coins into one unified stable coins that can be then used for other things, right? Um, the first iteration of AppSleeper was also slightly different than what we have right now with the M assets with our MUSD, and yeah, since then it expanded to not just MUSD, but then also MBDC became a thing as well uh, at a later stage. And the idea was to abstract more and more assets away um, for the user to make it simple, right? So the user don't have to worry whether to hold DAI or USDC. They could just hold MUSD or use MUSD because underlying it's exactly that same thing that they can just use. So initially it was... I guess creating a bas- uh, a stable coin that is collateralized by a basket of stable coins to kind of hedge your risk against one of those stable coins going belly up is that is that pretty accurate? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was the initial idea. Um abstracting complexity away but also it was supposed to be a risk minimized stable coin. Um that got later also a little bit um different perspective from a different light because with the underlying AMM structure it would also mean that once somebody swaps they could actually swap and swap the asset that is uh, trading at a discount into the basket so there are two components to to MUSD right there is the AMM that is the, um, the the stable swap AMM from Curve with a slight uh, difference. So instead of just allowing um, free swappage, uh, free swapping, there is a min weight and there is a max weight, right? So as soon as one asset um, is above, let's say at this point it's 50%, so as soon as it's, it's, it's in a basket is above 50%, it won't uh, allow to swap any more of that asset, right? So in a sense, it will protect you um, against the DPEG of one of those assets because the basket would never hold more than 50% of that asset, right? But at the same time, um, you're exposed to four different stablecoins and it would also mean that um, the you expose yourself to the risk of multiple assets at once. So that's why this whole concept of M assets was initially a very interesting one and then we later thought that this was probably not the best use cases for those assets um, because it ended up to be something else at what we anticipated actually, right? So MUSD later, um, that was like last year or when we launched actually also like the safe product and the safe product was like another part of the whole um, MUSD uh, portfolio, right? Of, of the whole product. So anybody that mints MUSD can put it also in this into the safe contract and they would earn a yield on it. So that yield comes from Aave and Compound and some um, swap fees as well. So whenever somebody swaps using the, the, the AMM, they would generate some fees and that would go to the savers. So this allowed us actually to create like a really compelling savings product. And that's actually what MUSD was then useful for, right? So MUSD was, like the, the MUSD gained traction in a sense that it became the asset to earn a yield. I guess you kind of you kind of slightly pivoted a little bit, right? I guess the I guess you were originally trying to take away the complexity of this. I guess choosing which stablecoin to utilize, and then instead uh, you then became more of like an interest bearing uh, protocol, right? Not that you were doing any. Up- you weren't upgrading any contracts necessarily, but you did create like, I guess, like a separate module for users to save, correct? Safe was actually part um, in the very beginning as well, but it was never the dominant part. It was never supposed to be actually um, that important piece 
that it is today. Today, it's like crucial to MUSD that we have actually the safe contract because that's what we we feel got actually market traction. Um, so in the beginning, safe was something that was alongside there to allow to earn interest on that asset, right? But in the beginning, it was pretty much the risk minimized stable coin and the easy to swap in and out um, from that asset. That was the main, main focus. Okay, I know, and I know y'all are pivoting away from uh, the M assets a little bit, but I still want to like touch on MUSD uh, a little bit because I still feel like that's going to be an important uh, part. And so, like, how would like what are all the different ways that a user can, I guess, get MUSD? So there are different ways. Um, probably the easiest way would be just to go to the MStable app, and then there's literally like a swap tab. And whenever somebody swaps into MUSD, let's say they want to deposit USDC, uh, USDT, DAI, or SUSD into MUSD, they would literally just mint MUSD, right? So they would send that asset into the basket and get um, MUSD issued. So that's one way. Um, it's directly through the native app. The other way is you could also swap it um, in, on Curve. So there's a pool, an MUSD pool that is paired with the free curve pool okay and so you were also recently mstable recently got musd listed on coinbase which is a great achievement congratulations yeah that's that's good news um what is that what does that mean for mstable the protocol like how how important is that to you mstable and the community so i, I think it's more important to have it like to, to to have a listing on coinbase is from a narrative i think very important um, but from the asset itself, it's it's important in the sense that when MUSD is outside of the safe contract, it actually generates a yield that is more than the users would just generate themselves, right? So let's say I deposit, I, I mint one MUSD, but I don't deposit that MUSD in, into safe. What happens is that the underlying that I use to create the MUSD is still um, generating a yield, but that yield goes to safe, to the safe contract depositors, right? So when there is MUSD anywhere outside of the safe contract, it generates a yield still for for the savers. So if it's traded on Coinbase, then the MUSD is deposited on Coinbase, means then the MUSD is not in a safe contract, so it actually earns still the yield for the safe users, so they benefit. Um, similar thing happens also with Curve. Like if MUSD is deposited in, into the Curve pool, that underlying still earns for the safe users. So it allows us to have a slightly above average um, yield coming um, to any savers that deposit their MUSD into the contract. The other side is, from another perspective, what does it actually mean that MUSD is listed on Coinbase? So that would mean that people can just swap let's say USDC for MUSD on Coinbase. Um, by itself, it actually doesn't add much value, right? Because in order for MUSD to have value, um, people need actually to withdraw it back to their wallet and deposit it into a safe because then they can earn a yield. So to be honest, I, I don't think it actually added so much benefit for us having MUSD listed on Coinbase um, because in the end, it did generate, like, let's say, a better yield just because MUSD was outside the bus, uh, outside of the safe contract. But the use cases for just trading MUSD on Coinbase, um, they are quite limited because MUSD is only powerful in DeFi, actually, in the DeFi ecosystem. So that's when MUSD is actually useful. So I think, and you can already create MUSD just by having those two options that I outlined earlier. Yeah, I think you brought up a really good point. It's something that I've thought a lot about as well. And it's that it's so interesting for me to see assets that are listed on Coinbase that, I don't know, really have like no business being on a centralized exchange because the value that those assets have, those tokens are really from the on-chain utility that they have. And MUSD being one of those. And I think like even something like Curve, Right. I mean, Curve is the the CRV token is purchased to be staked so you can get those rewards. And I, I don't know, it's just it's just so interesting to me. But I think, you know, if someone is like new to the space and they're trying to get exposure in certain assets, 
I guess that can be interesting, but I, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. Very big from a narrative perspective, and it maybe even gets your name out there a little bit from a protocol standpoint. Um, I used to be able to say that, you know, if Coinbase lists you, then I think people can start taking you a lot more seriously. But then I think you kind of look at some of the assets that Coinbase has been listing lately, and that's probably just not necessarily the case anymore. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think the more interesting use case would be if MTA was actually listed on Coinbase because that's the asset that you would probably trade. Like that, 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 that would generate at least um, some kind of price discovery um, on a centralized exchange, which is quite important to have a Chainlink Oracle as well, right? Um, that would be an interesting use case. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like there's any benefit in being able to exchange MUSD for USDC on Coinbase from like a an ability to maintain the the peg the peg better or have just more liquidity in general like is there a benefit there yeah there's definitely benefits like liquidity is obviously one right um also whenever whenever there's an asset listed on a centralized exchange it generates volume and that volume is also beneficial when you want to have a chain link oracle for a particular asset um, because then the price is less manipulable right but the thing is with musd the it it holds it pack really really easily right because when there is let's say when MUSD trades anywhere above the pack you could just mint more MUSD and swap it out for that asset that you used to mint it with right the other way around if it trades below the pack then anybody can just use the uh, buy that MUSD and get the asset the underlying assets out Right, so there's no like there's no mechanism that relies MUSD to be packed. Like the architecture of MUSD already itself is self-correcting. Okay, yeah, and with MUSD, right, it's a basket of stable coins, and let's say you've got just uh, I forget what the breakdown is currently. How, how many assets are are underlying the MUSD stablecoin? I guess is my first question. Right, so on mainnet it's four. And on Polygon, it's free. So on Mainnet, it's DAI, USDC, USDT, and SUSD. And on Polygon, it's the same, but no SUSD in the basket. So there's only three on Polygon. So what happens if one of those four underlying stable coins on Mainnet goes to zero? Does, I don't know, does the MUSD stable coin lose 25% of its value? Um, what, what happens there? Okay, so because it's an AMM, it will likely be used to swap assets as well. And when one asset trades below the pack, it will be very likely that that basket, like the MUSD AMM, will be actually used to arbitrage that away as well. So what ends up happening is that the AMM or the MUSD basket will be overexposed to the asset that trades below the pack. And that can happen up until to the max weight. And the max weight is set to 50% at this stage, but it's changeable. Governance can change it. And so that means that 50% will be exposed to that asset that potentially can fail. The other will be still collateralized. Um, but yeah, that's why I said that this, this system that you can just swap an asset out and you just leave the basket with the asset that trades below pack that makes it slightly less risk minimized because in that sense, the basket itself would accumulate the risk. But that generates a lot of swap volume as well. So when there's a lot of volatility, that generates a lot of swap volume and that swap volume is really nice uh, for the safe rate. Okay, yeah, that just kind of goes back to the, you know, hedging hedging your bets on, on stable coins as well. So uh, almost having like MUSD being like a safer alternative to all the the four underlying stable coins that are i guess under that are supporting the MUSD asset so that makes sense but yeah but y'all are also transitioning away from M assets so let's talk about that a little bit like it is our MUSD and MBTC are they going away um what's going on you know what's new with M stable these days all right, those, those assets, they don't go anywhere, right? Because the contracts are already on mainnet, um, they are deployed, they work as intended, and they will continue to work. 
Um, but what we realize actually, and that's what I was telling you in the beginning as well, that MUSD is very useful for earning a yield, right? So the majority of users would actually use MUSD in order to then deposit in, into SAFE so they can earn a yield or into Curve so they can earn a yield as well, right? So that's kind of like what we thought about our V2 as well. So when there is no particular good reason to have this additional step of creating an M asset, just so you can deposit it then somewhere else to earn a yield, then why would you then make a users create that asset in the first place, have this complexity of the smart contracts there to go that extra step while DeFi and the majority of users, they want to do something with their assets. They want to have their assets to work for them, right? So in the end, they want to deposit it somewhere and to earn a yield on those assets. While there are other assets that function really well as a, yeah, as money, right? Um, UCC is like really good example that works really well and when when there's like a lot of these kind of stable coins and we had like a lot of stable coins um, during the last market uh, peak there were like tons of them and it became really really clear that stable coin is like a really crowded place and stable coins also something that requires a lot of capital to keep the stable coin um, having value in the market um, just for example frax spends a lot of money or they spent a lot of money to just continue to continuously bribe so they would actually increase uh, TVL and it would actually increase also um, the, the, the the market usage in yeah in DeFi so once you hit the threshold where I think Frax hit, hit like a really interesting threshold once they hit that that they become so dominant in the market that they don't have to spend that much anymore to keep themselves uh, valuable to the market, then that's something that they achieved and then they can seek out to have other use cases for the stablecoin. But during the big market when there was like a lot of these stablecoins, a lot of them didn't have any use cases and that's why we don't have that many anymore. So I find it's like very interesting how the market creates a lot of assets and then once the market collapses, uh, a lot of those assets disappear. Yeah, it can be very, very crowded in the stablecoin space. And like, how do you feel like MUSD and MBTC for that matter, like how do you feel like those assets differentiate themselves from, you know, WBTC, RENBTC, FRAX, uh, USDC, MY, like how, how do y'all differentiate yourselves? Like what, what is the true benefit compared to other stablecoins in your opinion? It comes really down to where and how much is the asset actually used somewhere. So when you say DAI, I think DAI is like such an asset that is so ingrained into so many products that it's actually has a lot of use cases. Same with UCC, like those assets, they just generated like an ecosystem around them. So I think for any stablecoin, it's important to create that ecosystem. Um, and until there's that ecosystem, that's where the kind of incentives game come, come in. That's where they need to incentivize in order to get to a stage where uh, a lot of protocols will actually use that asset um, to integrate something or to create products around it. So that's why I think it's like very difficult to um, play that same game. Right? And that's why we decided also to shift to our MetaVaults. On the subject of MetaVaults, you will be leveraging the 4626 standard for tokenized vaults. Can you provide our audience just a little bit of background on the 4626 standard and how does Mstable plan to implement that? I think 4626 um, is a super interesting standard, to be honest. Um, they're, like 4626 by itself, um, it's a standard for a yield-bearing token. Okay, So by itself, it's like, okay, what, what is a yield-bearing token? So a yield-bearing token is any token that you can use to accumulate another token. Um, let, let me go back to standards and just explain um, why standards are in general important. I think that's like a really interesting conversation by itself. DeFi and composability is so key to what we're building. Um, and the very important standard that we everybody knows is probably ERC-20. Like without that standard, there wouldn't be many of the uh, products that we use um, yeah, today in DeFi because there was no one standard that all tokens would function the same way, right? So ERC-20 is 
just the token standard. And um, without ERC20, there wouldn't be probably a Uniswap because every token, everybody who creates a contract can pretty much create the contract however they want to. And so they could actually create functions that um, that that would yeah that, that would have a different name, for example. So in ERC20, you have a function called balance of, right? And you can literally input the the address and it would return you the balance of the the address that you provided. If you would change that, if you would say it balance of user, that breaks composability. That means that um, every contract that wants to integrate that one token needs to be aware that this function, this particular one function, needs to be called differently. Right? So that's why ESC20, once it came around, Uniswap was created just because every token had the same interface, every token functioned in a similar way and could be called with the same functions. So that's ESC20. Then there's ESC721. I think that's also a really important one because that pretty much standardized how NFTs work and the interfaces and, and the functions, how NFTs can be called. So that also created like a really huge space that all the NFTs suddenly could be incorporated into one marketplace. So that's the, I think the, the important um, standards. And then ESC4626 is also a very important standard because that actually allows a standardized way of interacting with yield bearing tokens. Um, so when you deposit right now, when you use Aave, you deposit on the Aave interface, you deposit a token and you could back an A token, right? Um, on Compound, if you deposit another token, you get back a C token, but both work differently, right? They have different functions. They, like every time you want to integrate them, you need to integrate Aave and Compound separately because you need to call different functions. You need to um, calculate things differently, right? Because there is no standard. So ERC4626 uh, exactly creates that one standard so that every time you interact with something that is yield bearing, that is 4626, you can be sure that these are the functions you need to call to deposit. These are the functions that you need to call when you want to withdraw something. So it standardizes how smart contracts work together. So it's extend. It's actually an extension of ERC20. So it still has all the ERC20 functions, plus it has all the deposit, the withdraws, the convert to shares, the convert to assets function. Um, so you can be sure that those function the same way. And I think one, one example is also that MUSD itself is actually using Aave and Combine at the same time. So some assets like USDC, um, when you mint um, MUSD, USDC is deposited into Compound, while the others like DAI and USDT is deposited in Aave. And because they function differently, there are two different contracts that need that handle that exact communication with those uh, with Compound and Aave. Uh, with 4626, ideally, that wouldn't be necessary. With 4626, there will be one contract that um, has an, a defined interface, and that would then be used to integrate any contract that can be compatible with 4626, ideally. Yeah, thanks for that overview. Yeah, I think it's important for people to understand too. And I don't, I don't know if a lot of people know. Maybe the people who are still here in the bear market understand this concept. But when it comes down to it, like your the tokens that we have on Ethereum, they're just smart contracts, right? And when you have a ERC twenty compliant token, that's just really a smart contract that adheres to certain token standards that help with composability, right? Is essentially what you're saying. And yeah, this 4626 standard is incredibly important because just like you said, Aave has its interest-bearing token, Compound has its interest-bearing tokens, and it can make things a little bit difficult for developers when they're building products that want to leverage these assets and this composability. Um, but I feel like the, I mean, obviously this is better for the long-term benefit. Absolutely. But are we going to see like, uh, and you might not know this, I'm just kind of thinking out loud, like how do you think Compound and Aave would implement that 4626 standard? I know Aave just came out with V3. Do they have to change their... I mean, do they now have to come out with V4 to catch up with 4626? And, and like, what about Compound? Do you have any ideas or thoughts on that? <laughs> Good question. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about their plans um, when it comes to 4626. But 
and and I think Compound and Aave kind of created their own little small standards um, because Compound was forked a couple of times. Compound, uh, yeah, yeah, Rari forked Compound, um, Iron the Iron Bank or like Cream forked Compound. So they kind of created its own kind of small universe of the C standard as well, which never is actually a proper standard, but um, that's that's how composability was also achieved there. But I don't think they have to integrate it. Like they could, of course, and that would definitely help with composability and DeFi um, in general. But they don't have to. That's the that's the beauty of smart contracts. Those contracts that they have, they can be wrapped in contracts that are for six to six compatible. So it's like a in between contract that would sit in the middle that would still allow um, the functions to be called via four six to six, but then map them exactly to what it would mean. Um, in Compound or in Aave, right? And there only needs to be one of those contracts because once there's one wrapper contract, then that would allow any other contract to be also using that in a standardized way. Right, exactly. Just like the uh, version one of CryptoPunks, you know, if you want those to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They did not <laughs> adhere to the ERC-721 standard. So you sent that as asset to a wrapper, and now you've got the wrapped V1 CryptoPunks that adhere to the 721 standard. Exactly. And then you and then you can trade it on OpenSea suddenly, right? Which you couldn't do before. When I hear the word vault uh, in a DeFi sense, I immediately think of like Maker and Cheetow from, uh, from the sense that, you know, you create a vault... You put your assets in the vault, and then you can mint die or my uh, against that vault. So kind of like a, a collateral mechanism. But that's not how the meta vaults work in mstable necessarily, is it? Like, like what are the meta vaults that y'all are like? Yeah, how is this being implemented? If you think of vaults like in that way, then yeah, it's probably a little bit different. Um, because with 4626, you just supply one asset and then you get back uh, a share of the vault, right? And while it sits in that contract, it does other things, of course, to generate a yield. So your shares at a later stage will be worth more. So you can withdraw more uh, of that underlying back that you initially supplied. That's the whole idea. Um, so let me quickly go back to our V1 again and our key learnings there and why we actually decided to do a V2. So. With mstable v1, as I said in the beginning, like an M asset was probably not as useful as we thought, right? And that was like we created it so early and uh, when DeFi was really, really new. Probably DeFi was not even a word. Um, I think there was also open finance, like at at one stage, that was debated whether that should be the the word to describe the space. And so that's when MUSD was created. And currently, what we realized is that actually MUSD is useful. Um, in one particular instance only, um, it's for generating a yield. So the majority of users would uh, mint MUSD just to deposit it into our safe contract. So what we realized is um, a yield is actually the proper use case. Yield is actually that what got us traction. And our smart contracts that generate like a nice better yield than probably just Aave and Compound by itself. So that's why we decided to pivot to the concept of meta vaults, where we take these learnings that we still want to provide a good yield for users, it's diversified, but we take away the complexity of having like this one asset sitting in the middle that the user has to go through. So that's pretty much what our meta vaults does. So a meta vault um, is a 4606 compatible smart contract, right? So it is composable with anything that can handle 4606, so which is already opening up probably use cases um, that we don't even know about. Um, there will be probably like a lot of them in the future, I assume, once there is the composability in the ecosystem. And what MetaVaults allows us to do is to, to take one asset in, like the one asset that you want to deposit, and to generate a yield on it, right? But we are not the layer that actually generates the yield. We are the layer that abstracts away the complexity of having a diversified yield uh, sources of yield, right? So rather than going just to one yield source and just um, sitting, having your assets there and then the yield source potentially um, yeah, not, not yielding as much as you thought or the yield is probably gone 
um, metavolts are adaptable and can actually adjust also where and what they allocate towards. Right? So it's a diversified set of yield sources that the user can get exposure towards with one contract. This is reminding me of Yearn a little bit. Are, are there similarities there? I think that comparison makes sense, yeah. Um, but I think there's like also slightly differences. But what we do with the underlying is that the, the yield source itself are all 4626 compatible. So what we have is not just one contract that the user can interact with, like every contract in the stack is 4626 compatible, which means that you can combine them and you can create products from them and you can then put two of those meta vaults together in a new meta vault. So it's all the way down 4626 and compatibility. That's kind of what it comes down towards, but also it's a little bit how you say it's a little bit like more flexible when it comes to what strategies we pursue as well. So it's not so much that we have one strategy that we can use, it's a diversified set of strategies. Yeah, so uh, another question that I'm thinking of is, you know, you said that the investment as or the the investment strategies can change within the vault. Uh, how is that decision of the investment change made? Is that governance-based? Is that multi-sig-based? Or is it just hard-coded into the vault? How does that work? So ideally, it won't change. I ideally, we have a meta vault launch, and there, there is already a set of um, underlying vaults that it uses, and that stays the same. Of course, this can be changed via governance, so it should be adaptable to governance, but what we can do change is actually the weights around it. So how much we allocate to what. So we can also rebalance and allocate towards one strategy if it yields more, um, also more of the assets actually towards. Okay. Um, I don't know, what else have we not addressed that you want to make sure that we touch on related to instable version 2, 4626, etc.? Right, I think those are the most important things. So what we are doing right now is we've built actually our first meta vault. Um, so that will be a strategy um, for stable coins. So the user can actually continue to earn a yield on their stable coins, but from a diversified set of like similar strategies. Um, but it will allow them to diversify in the kind of strategy that it uses as well. Um, so the idea with that is we want to really create products that the users can um, gain value from and that the users can earn a yield on, right? So that will be the first meta vault. There will be more meta vaults. And as we go, we want to create more and more meta vaults in order to saturate the ecosystem with more and more 4606 um, contracts that anyone can integrate or anyone can use as well as a standalone strategy or as a piece of it. And as we do that, we hope also the ecosystem around 4626 will become such that we need to wrap less and less contracts to be compatible with 4626. Because that means then we can really start creating strategies um, really quick. Because then contracts will be 4626 compatible. We can use our meta vaults in order to compose them and to create unique, interesting strategies and we can deploy them. So that's the idea of meta vaults and why you think it's so powerful. Yeah, I, I totally agree. This is really exciting. I've I've always been a fan of Instable. I have a Instable shirt. I have an Instable hoodie. I should have wore the shirt today, actually, for the interview. <laughs> I should have. It's great. It's a black on black uh Instable shirt. So it's like you can barely see it, but you know it's there. It's it's great. Um yeah, I'm really excited about these like updated, like these this new innovation with token standards and, you know, just building in the bear in general. And yeah, what's it like to you? You know, just like the differences between all the hype in the bull market versus kind of, you know, just like all the less noise in the bear market that we're seeing right now. Like, can you like compare and contrast the, the two on what it's like to build under these conditions? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good question because, yeah, it's it's a huge difference. Um, during the bull market, there is just so much noise. There's like so many different products, and there are so many things that you need to pay attention towards. There's so many also um, 
like interesting things happening that kind of forces you to reevaluate constantly what you're doing and also new opportunities popping up. So you also um, you also feel the need to pivot sometimes to address those. Um, so there's like a lot of things going on that makes you re rethink all the time things and re-question like the things that you do. And one example is like there was like this whole uh, yield in general during the bull market is like really plentiful. So that's when you start to actually compete on the yield level and think how can you optimize your yield as well, right? And that's when discussions start to pop up about why don't we integrate like this source or that source or this source, right? Um, so there's a lot of ideas, it, it gets really noisy. So that's the bull market. The bear market, on the other hand, yields get compromised to like less sources. So what, I, what we actually see is that there are many protocols that try to converge to a similar way. So they kind of start to do similar things just because yield is not as plentiful anymore, right? So they go back to the yield sources that are still existent and try to create products on top of them. So the opportunities, they kind of compress and that's when protocols actually start to compete on a much more substantial level on, let's say, the actual use case, the actual utility, the actual, um, how differently they do it as well. Also, how good is the user experience in that regard? So I think it kind of consolidates the market to the back to the core values um, to build something that is actually good to use. And how important, you know, just looking <clears throat> at all the news, you know, with Celsius and, you know, all these other protocols, uh, not, sorry, not protocols, companies, um, they kind of branded themselves as DeFi and were very obviously not because, you know, you're literally giving your assets to someone to hold on for you. Um, how important is it for Mstable uh, just to be decentralized? Like, what does decentralization mean to Mstable and how important is that to the community? I think that was a really good example when there were a lot of these centralized players that gave you like a really nice yield. Um, that, that was really an artifact of like this bull market. And that was also something that a lot of new money converted towards because this was just easier to use as well. So after the collapse of everything, after the collapse of all these kind of centralized uh, players, um, not all of them, but you know, the, the biggest chunk of them, I think this really strengthened our our vision and why we're actually building something that is on Ethereum, a really decentralized uh, base layer, and why we build a protocol rather than like why rather a protocol than let's say a, a some something more centralized. So I think this really yeah, helped us to regain focus and understand that this is what we are building. It's maybe more difficult because it has all these components because it's smart contracts but there's a reason why we build it. So I think it was really important to have this moment to realize that DeFi is still something that despite all the market craziness, um, it survived and it even came stronger from it. And that's exactly what we also experienced with Mstable. Mstable functioned just fine during the whole crazy uh, market anom anomaly. Yeah, and that's what I've told people is focus and pay attention to the DeFi protocols that functioned just as they were supposed to during huge drawdowns and didn't lose user funds and just continues running on the blockchain. Um, those are the ones to pay attention to. And Mstable is, is obviously one of those. And it's, inter it's interesting to think too, I, there was this narrative in the bull market that I think it was just like, users don't care about decentralization. Um, and I think my response to that now is they they should have um and it's i think it kind of falls on like the shoulders of the influencers in the space too who also kind of hopped on that train and i think it's easy too to like in the bull market to kind of second guess yourself right in the bull market um you can definitely second guess the principles that you have you know like do users care about decentralization does decentralization matter and I think we're seeing now that 
It does. And it, it, it does kind of like what you said, like back to basics and back to core principles. We can kind of take a step back and say, yeah, those initial beliefs that we had of decentralization, composability, self-custody, transparency, like those are the core fundamentals of DeFi. And that is what makes DeFi so resilient uh, during bear markets and just so I mean, I mean, those are just the most important aspects of decentralized finance in my mind. I don't know if you have any opinions on that. Yeah, that, I think that's a really good point. But I also want to say that decentralization by itself is also kind of like a spectrum. Um, there are different protocols that are, have a different degree of decentralization. And it also depends on a protocol to protocol basis of how decentralized is the protocol and how decentralized want you to, the protocol to be. Um, I think there's like some protocols that can really work well to be 100% decentralized, like Uniswap, I think is a really good example because they just release the smart contracts, they work as intended and don't, they don't need to tweak it because they found the exact product that they need and that's exactly how it's supposed to work. Um, while other protocols, they are still searching for product market fit, so that's why they need to tweak and adjust a few things with the smart contracts. Um, and also decentralization also like on the other hand has also like a big governance aspect like token tokenomics token voting is a very contentious topic as well um i i'm not sure token voting like there, there were some many discussions around whether this is actually something that is like really a beneficial part for the ecosystem or not and there has been also like really interesting experiments with moving away from token voting um to like other concepts and i really like to see those um those come to fruition and see what actually will become the dominant design because i because there's parts of decentralization that make also building products difficult or building products slow like every time you want to do a smart contract change or you want to upgrade a smart contract there needs to be some governance process which is good because it will give accountability of why you do certain things. It will also prevent from doing anything malicious. But on the other hand, it means also you react way slower to new opportunities or you have less freedom to do certain things. So I think it's kind of like a spectrum and the more successful you the protocol is, probably the more decentralized they want to be because that means they have to tweak less. And that's where the actual... Um, the actual ownership of the protocol can go back to the users uh, once it's actually reached a certain threshold. So I think, yeah, I, I, I think decentralization is an interesting topic, but not everything will or needs to be decentralized from day one as well. That's a good point. And I've talked to Kane from Synthetics a little bit about that as well when I had him on the podcast and he, he shared similar sentiments, right? And I think it's easy for people to kind of say, oh, you know, you've got a multi-sig, so, uh, and you have upgradable contracts, so you're not decentralized. And that's, I, that's true to an extent, right? You're not as decentralized as like a Uniswap, which does not have upgradable contracts. But, you know, if you're still looking for that product market fit, you kind of need some sort of upgradability of those contracts, right? As long as it like doesn't put users' funds at risk, I, I think that's... I think that's okay, but it, like you said, also, you know, decentralization is a spectrum. Like you could be completely decentralized. Um, I, I guess Uniswap is like the best example that I can think of for that. Um, or you can also build completely centralized protocols on the blockchain as well, which um, you should probably stay away from. And I, I think, it, yeah, you touched on another important thing too, and it's like. I think governance token allocation is another thing to pay attention to when it comes to is your protocol decentralized or not, right? If, you know, you have one person that holds 50% of the governance tokens, well, then you're not decentralized, right? Depending on what governance can change within the protocol or the contract. So I, you know, when I'm using DeFi, I try to find like the most, decentralized protocols that I can use with the, the least amount of contract upgradability. Um, but if I'm using other ones that are a little bit further on the other side of the decentralization spectrum, I'm just not going to put as much uh, assets 
in there. Um, none of this is financial advice, but this is just kind of like my, my mental process, my thinking of, of everything. I, I guess another question I have, Dimitri, is like, what about like Polygon specifically? Like what learnings have y'all had specifically deploying on Polygon and what has that experience been like uh, for you as a product manager and just the M-stable community in general? Yeah, Polygon is a very interesting use case actually, because although like the majority of TVL is actually on mainnet, I think Polygon gained another way of traction. So because um, on mainnet it's quite expensive to do transactions, um, the majority of smaller users or new users wouldn't want to use mainnet. So that's where we actually see a lot more activity on Polygon, but not just that, we also see a lot more integrations from applications that are kind of like the new fintech. So we see a lot of applications that try to um, take, take away the lunch from fintechs, but do it in a decentralized manner. So try to get the yield from DeFi and then expose the user only to their beautiful, nice and easy uh, application that is still non-custodial. So we also saw that on Polygon, we got a lot more integrations um, from those kind of partners and from those players. And we also have like a really interesting grant or we had like a grant um, collaboration with Polygon as well, where we also incentivize these kind of integrations. So I think Polygon by itself is like a really nice ecosystem to experiment and try these things out and allow for um, these cust these um, yeah, front front facing users, like the, 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 the users that are not particular in crypto try to get them exposure towards crypto or towards crypto values and see how crypto can actually work for them in a very easy manner as well. So I think that in that way, it was quite interesting to also experience um, that from that side. You know, personally, I think it'd be really interesting to see Mstable deploy on a ZK EVM maybe sometime in the future, which Polygon will be announcing soon, maybe on the same day that this podcast is released. So yeah, Dimitri, this has been great. Thanks for sharing all of your insights and helping everybody learn about Mstable a little bit more and just just general talking about, you know, what it's like to build in the bear market. I think this was this has been really informative for me. Uh, for everyone who's watching on YouTube, thank you for watching. If you're listening on Spotify or Apple, thanks for tuning in. And Dimitri, it was it was great. Uh, before we sign off, where can people go to find out more about you and Mstable? So we have mstable.org, the website, just to learn everything about Mstable, to use Mstable. Um, there's a Twitter account, mstable underscore, important, um, to just follow Mstable and what's happening with us. If you will want to follow me, it's just at dimsumdim um, on Twitter as well. Um, I post sometimes um, information about Mstable, but also just general things that I like. And you're a great follow on Twitter as well. I follow you. Good content. Thank you very much. <laughs> well, thanks again, Dimitri. And uh, yeah, I'll see you. I'll see you out there. Thanks for coming. Right. Thanks for having me. It was a pleasure. <laughs>